And welcome back to Coaching with the Bible. This is episode 138, season 3, episode 29. Portion of the week is the portion known as Emor. We are just almost near the end of the third book of Moses, the book of Leviticus. It's also the reading this week, the study of the fourth chapter of the Ethics of the Fathers. Our topic this week, unexpected opportunity. If you could hear that sound, that sound was the sound of a cracking matzah. Yes, it's subtle, it's small, you're not expecting it. I hope you had a great week. It's a cracking matzah because I want to go away from the portion of the week this week. I also want to go away from the fourth chapter, the Ethics of the Fathers this week, to a specific thing that today on the Hebrew calendar is the day on which something known as Second Passover is celebrated. For those of you in the audience who are not aware of this concept, we're going to get to the source in just a moment. The idea here is that it's one month on the calendar since the holiday of Passover began. So it's one month since the, since the people who are celebrating Passover, who, the Jewish people who sat and had a Seder, one month ago today on the Hebrew calendar. And in the book of Numbers, in the ninth chapter in the book of Numbers, we hear a story, a very small, very brief, a very important and I think very powerful story about what's known as the second Passover, but also then something that's called second Passover, or it's called in Hebrew Pesach Sheni. And we'll get to that in just a moment. And so in staying away from the, the actual text of this week, which is, as they all are, awesome, and, and the ethics of the fathers, which also has just tons of lessons and ideas, I want to talk this week and want to learn with you and discuss with you the idea of unexpected opportunity. Unexpected opportunity. I initially had a different name for this. I'll get to that in just a few minutes as well. Unexpected opportunity which is this. In that ninth chapter, it's the second year, the Bible tells us. So the people of Israel have been in the desert for one year. They're now coming on the celebration of the first Passover out of Egypt, the one-year anniversary of their redemption, the one-year anniversary of their being freed from slavery, the one-year anniversary of the destruction of Egypt, and one can imagine that this is a monumental celebration. If you have the anniversary of any really big event in your life, you know, it could be your birthday, it could be a wedding anniversary, it could be the anniversary of, you know, uh, getting your dream job, uh, something like that. Or, you know, on something... Flip side, like you miraculously survived a terrible accident. And so when that day comes around the following year, it would be something perhaps to minimally acknowledge, but perhaps even celebrate. And so here when the people of Israel are now one year in to their freedom process and they're coming upon this holiday, you can imagine that this is going to be, this is going to be a big celebration. 
But imagine being among a small group of people who cannot participate in the holiday. The Bible has a set of rules. God sets down a certain set of rules with respect to who can participate in a Paschal lamb. And anyone who is impure cannot. So imagine by happenstance or circumstance that you happen to be impure on the day in which that celebration would come on the first anniversary of your leaving Egypt and you can't participate how bummed you might be. Like, you got to watch everybody else participate and take part and celebrate in that way and I'm sitting on the side, sitting in the corner, you know, quote-unquote almost to some degree like a quarantine of sorts. Like, that doesn't fly. That's hard. That's hard to handle. But that would appear to be the situation here. In the ninth chapter of Numbers, in the seventh verse, sorry, the sixth verse, it tells us about a group of people who were impure. And by extension, by being impure, they could not participate in this monumental anniversary celebration moment. What are they supposed to do? I mean, it's a life's curveball, right? Like, you do your best to avoid all these things. You want to be ready. You want to be there. You're going to dance between the raindrops. You're going to avoid certain certain circumstances. You're not going to go to work if other people are sick so that you can be there for that celebration. You can be there fully present in those spaces, in those moments, because you don't want to miss. But life sometimes throws you a curveball, and you are the impure one. You are the person who's not feeling well. You're the person who has to stay at the office. Or you're the person who's has a flat tire and you can't participate. So what do you do? What can you do? What can you expect, if anything? So what's amazing in the story is that these people, this group of people, small group of people, the, the Talmud goes on a long conversation about who these people were, figuring out who exactly these people were. That's not for now. They come before Moses and Aaron and they tell them, we are impure. And here then come the key words. This is in verse 7. Why should we be any less in our inability to bring the sacrifice on this holiday? Why should we be any less? The obvious answer was, well, you're impure. Or whatever the reason, you can't participate. You just can't. The audacity to ask the question is something that I love. Similar kind of language appears later on in the Bible with respect to the daughters of somebody of you know, Slavchad when he passes and then there's a question of inheritance. But let's focus in here. Why should we be any less? It's a fair question. Moses doesn't have an immediate answer. Moses turns to God, and then God innovates, quote-unquote, on the spot, the idea of what's called the second Passover, that on the one-month anniversary of the celebration of Passover, those people who could not participate the first time can participate the second time from nowhere. Unexpected opportunity. Something that was not to be there 
that suddenly is there. Let's hold that for a second and look at what they perhaps were considering. They're perhaps considering a situation where the rest of the nation is celebrating the holiday of Passover, that first anniversary, and they're going to miss for an entire year until the next year, until hopefully they'll be in a position to participate in that second year. That stinks, right? Like, there's no other way to say it. That's not the way this is supposed to be. That's not how we planned this. That's not how I had set this up. This feels like some sort of a lesser option alternative. You might call it the term that Charles Sandberg and Adam Grant used. This feels like option B. Option B is not the option that you want. You want option A. And now you're in this place where you're in option B land where you are sad, you're angry, you're disappointed, you're frustrated, you're carrying a whole set of baggage and emotion around how you feel in this moment. You might feel embarrassed, you might feel humiliated, you might feel less than because you are in this space of loss because you can't celebrate this holiday where everybody else can. Then what do you do? And if you're not that person, but you are the relative of that person, you're the neighbor of that person, you're the friend of that person, then how do you talk through and talk to a person who's living in option B land? I mean, it's deeply uncomfortable. You have option A, you have the celebration, they don't. How do you cross that bridge? How do you cover that barrier? It's a chasm, really, not a barrier, sorry. And what do you do in that world, in that space? This is like heavy business. But this is where these people are in this moment in the, de in the desert. And this is where a lot of people are in life. It's recently with a group of uh, individuals that are very much similar to me. Started off a career in a certain direction. And through either a set of circumstances in their profession or in their lives, they're no longer in that same space. They're no longer on that path. So started as a group of rabbis, started as communal leaders, communal rabbis, and now no longer in that position. Some by choice, it wasn't the right career. Some by uh, manner of the family moving. So in this case, perhaps a lot of them was the case that the families had moved out of the communities where they were in. And now they were not that person. They're no longer in that role. In those cases, actually, it wasn't even that option B happened to them. They are perhaps choosing the secondary option for their lives. And so they're self-selecting into option B. That's hard. The emotions of that are hard. It feels very much like you've stepped into something extremely difficult. It feels like a detour. Maybe it's a detour. But for a lot of people, it feels like a roadblock.
feels like the end. And so they made a sacrifice, they made a decision for the betterment of their spouse, for the betterment of their family, for their children, maybe even for their own mental health. But they had to make that choice. Or the choice was made for them, where they were let go, or they, it just wasn't working, or whatever it is. Circumstance. And now they're living in option B. And what do they do with that? How do you live in the land of option B? Sheryl Sandberg is quoted often saying that she believes that most of us are living option B all the time. That may be true. I don't know. But what do we do with that? And so in the case of the people in the desert, God gave them an out. God gave them an unexpected opportunity. An unexpected opportunity to celebrate the holiday on a month, a month later. It's a second chance. I remember a few years ago, actually, during COVID, the early stages of COVID, that there was actually an individual, I remember watching, he missed Passover because he was, he had COVID, he was in the hospital. I think he had been uh, on a respirator, so he wasn't obviously aware and conscious at the moment, at that time. And he missed the holiday and he came back a month later, thank, thankfully, still alive. And he celebrated the second Passover. But it effectively feels like, for those people, it's a second chance at life. It's a second chance at, an, at, at, that, at that opportunity that potentially was missed. The audacity of them making the ask is something I would love to cover, just not today. Because the audacity to ask big, broad, bold questions... The idea that there might be something on the other side of that, which is also audacious, is super interesting for another time. But here is now the, the end of that, which is what looked like a dead end is now a second, uh, second chance, is now an unexpected opportunity. And so we have to take advantage of the unexpected opportunities that come, in life, come, come to us in life. We have to be willing to to look at these circumstances and these moments where we get a second chance to take advantage because it's effectively a gift. And so it could be a situation where we have to give someone else a second chance, someone wronged us, someone did something to us, and now we're in the position of giving someone else a second chance, and we probably should for a whole host of reasons, the least of which is we would want a second chance too. But perhaps beyond that as a reason as to why we should give others a second chance, you feel better. Someone wronged you, you forgive them, you've lifted that, that guilt, that frustration, that anger, the negativity from the relationship, the forgiveness frees you and now it's a second chance for them and it's really a second chance for you and maybe there's a second chance in the opportunity. You may give them a second chance because you believe and feel that people change, that they're not set in stone, that a person acted a certain way 20 years ago isn't the same person. So you could be wrong. They might be the exact same snake they were then, but they might have changed. They might have changed. And so the ability to lift off some of that emotional heft by virtue of providing someone with a second chance is also a gift, the gift of giving a second chance and not just the gift of having the opportunity to get a second chance. 
So the question then becomes for us is, if we're given a second chance, how do we get it right the second time around? When we're given an unexpected opportunity, how do we make sure that we're not going to miss that second opportunity and then hope and pray and maybe get the chance at a third opportunity? Because third opportunities are, you know, I mean, unlikely, right? And so the first thing is we have to really have a make a flip in the mind. You, when we're listening to people talk about the idea that they gave up X or that they now are living in an option B or now it feels like some sort of a detour or some sort of a dead end or an exceptionally narrow bridge that they have to cross. There are two ways to sort of think about that, I think. You could live inside the, the morning space, M-O-U-R-N, morning, the sadness of it. Or you could see it as new pathways, new opportunities, gifts in your life. To do things differently, to do things better, to do things bigger. To use the space as a reset and set yourself forward. I was listening to this group and a couple of people very much had that sort of sense of sadness that they gave something up. And they're still living in that sadness years later. At the same time, on the flip side, there's a gentleman sitting there who has never looked back. Lives every day with gusto, with excitement, with with happiness, with eyes open, seeking out the opportunity. Because the truth is, the what's expected, the expected path is what's known. And what's unexpected is really what changes our lives. What's unexpected is exciting. What's unexpected is what's unexplored. It's what's untapped. It's what's beyond how we think. And yes, there's risk in stepping into it. But like we've said here before, there's risk in not stepping into it. Stepping into the unknown, the unexpected land. And making those into opportunities. And sometimes the longer path is actually the better path. And sometimes the longer path is actually to the, the path to the place where you really need to be, should have been, always wanted to be, just didn't realize that that was true. And so there are a lot of ways to do this, but the first thing here is a mental shift, which is uber hard in trying to see this as a new opportunity, as an unexpected opportunity to do something perhaps bigger than what one might have thought the trajectory was on path number one in option A. And so we have to prepare for that. So the first thing really here is that we have to make the resolution that we're going to do this opportunity better than the last opportunity that was presented to us. That's first. So that's like a resolution for ourselves that I'm going to do this better. Right? That's one. Number two is to set up smaller tasks at success than sort of the big home run swing to sort of get you going in the direction of success. That success will breed confidence. That confidence will breed the next task and the next act 
will ease your path in actually moving down the line towards quote unquote option B or the unexpected opportunity. That's two. Three, simple reminders. Simple reminders placed in a lot of different places around you, where you live, where you work, where you breathe. They remind you of the opportunity that's in front of you. They remind you of the task that you need to fulfill and complete successfully to make sure that you are on the right trajectory in this second unexpected path, unexpected road in your life. Number four, bring in other people. Cannot go this alone. Probably tried to go it alone the first time and it didn't work or the way in which you went about it was mostly on your own. But now you're on a path that you have no idea. It's unexpected opportunity. It's a trajectory. You had no idea it was going to be there. Life's curveball is now giving you something amazing. And so instead of sort of just trying to figure it out all by yourself, get open, get vulnerable, talk to some friends and some family and say, hey, I have this amazing opportunity or this opportunity or I have to shift gears in my in the way I'm operating, right? So that's sort of two different ways to sort of think about the situation and I need help. Can you hold me accountable? Can you work with me on this? You're an expert at A, B, and C. Can I borrow from you a little bit of your expertise to help me get where I need to go? Those things really help. These are like bigger sort of ideas. One thing I saw in an article in Psychology Today, which you know is one of our great resources here in Coaching with the Bible, is what's called the one-second task, the one-minute struggle. And going back to the idea of the smaller tasks and the smaller wins, what, what's the thing that's the first second or two of the task that I need to do? Can I just do that first two, three, four, five seconds of the task? And once I'm in it, I'm in a much better situation. Like if it's the exercise thing, it's like, it's the, is the, can I put the shoes on? Can I just put, can I get socks and sneakers on? And then maybe I'm in that space and I'm not procrastinating anymore because I, I've moved past the procrastination of the thinking and all that other business, but I moved into the, the, the work because I did the smallest of tasks, the one second task by putting the shoes on or getting the socks on or whatever it is, right? That kind of stuff. This all helps a person move in the direction and move into the space of taking full advantage of this new unexpected opportunity. Maybe it's about getting a second chance to make that first impression or making the right impression. So how are you going to do that differently the second time? Why view that as, well, it's going to be the same. You, would, you wouldn't want to go about it as saying it's going to happen the same way that it happened the first way. Uh-uh, not true. It's going to happen differently. But it only happens differently if you plan and act and prepare yourself for success differently than you did it the first time. And so what you have then here is a construct of the Bible teaching you the, op- the idea that in life, you get option Bs, you can view them as option B in that sort of negative space potentially. That's a downward spiral trajectory towards no accomplishment, no success, unfulfilled, and so on. Or you can say, I have a lot of talent, a lot of skill. I've been given a tremendous amount of gifts. I don't exactly know why this is the way this is going for me. But I'm going to use all of that into this unexpected opportunity and throw myself forward 
and make the best use case out of all the things that have been given to me because I've been blessed with a second opportunity. I've been blessed with an unexpected opportunity. I've been blessed with the chance to go down a path which I had no idea was even one for me back then and there. And instead of sort of wallowing in the mire of it or mourning it, I'm not saying one shouldn't mourn it. I think there's a lot of room for that. In the early stages of some sort of a new path that perhaps isn't going right, there is space for a person to be sad. And there's space for a person to be, you know, without comfort. And there is space for a person to be dejected and upset, and even angry. We have to sort of go from there. We have to sort of move from there. Can't live there. And so that is this day. That's today. This is the day that holiday was celebrated, the second Passover for the people who couldn't celebrate the first Passover to teach us this notion about second chances and unexpected opportunities that are really there outside, right there in front of us, for the most part, we have to open up our eyes. We can't ignore the unexpected. We have to be perhaps paying attention to the unexpected opportunities that surround us, that are around us, because that's what makes life rich. And to end with a quote from the author by the name of Ron Hall, most people want to be circled by safety, not by the unexpected. The unexpected can take you out, But the unexpected can also take you over and change your life. Put a heart in your body where a stone used to be. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. I hope you enjoyed. I look forward to seeing you next week as we finish out the third book of Moses, the book of Leviticus. See you then. Have a great one.